Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Coffee and Sports Morning Show here on Sports Empire Network. As always, I am Chris, and I am here with my guy Mo. Mo, how's it going this morning, sir? Can't get better. Coffee and sports on a Wednesday. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to start off with some quick news, some quick headlines. In case you missed it, here you go. The Women's World Cup Final is set. England will be taking on Spain on Sunday after beating Australia 3-1. to Obviously disappointing that the U.S. women didn't get there. But you know what, Mo? I don't think soccer is a U.S. thing. I'm like, I, It's great when we're successful with it, but... We're not known for soccer, so I'm okay with that, right? We're we're not we're not, but I mean, obviously, our our country has totally embraced it, but we're definitely not known for it. Correct. Speaking of soccer, Messi is continuing to kill it in Miami. This man seems like he scores two or three goals every day. He is continuing his tear down there as they are trying to win. And again, I, I'm not a soccer person. If you're watching and you are a soccer person and you're about to come after me, I, I'm okay with that. I know they're competing. There's like 85 different cups you can win in soccer. And we're going to discuss this mode later on when we get into basketball's version of soccer now. Right, but right. I, I don't know what cup Miami's trying to win right now. But they're about to win something because of Messi. So good for him. The Michael Orr saga has continued overnight. It has now come out according. Again, we, we don't know. We don't know. But according to the Tui family, or tried to shake them down a few weeks ago. He wanted $15 million from them, and he said, if I don't get it, I'm going to drop a negative story about the family. Could that be a lie? Sure. But again, this is, this is just going to get more twisted. It's going to get more confusing before we figure out which side the truth lands on. In the world of the WNBA, the Liberty win the Commissioner's Cup. They do so by beating the title favorite, Las Vegas Aces, and it does seem like the Liberty are a thorn in the side of the Aces. They match up well with them. They really do. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, baseball news, the Rays ace, uh, Shane McClanahan. I love that last name, Irish, McClanahan. He has to have Tommy John surgery, so he is done for the season. And to the surprise of nobody, the Indianapolis Colts have named rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson as their starter for sure. the 2023 season. Coach, did you think did you think that wasn't going to happen? I I thought that was, he was going to start all along. I mean, really, like they didn't invest that much in him for him to ride on the pine. Like the truth of the matter is, of all these rookie quarterbacks, he's considered the rawest, but but he's also the guy that might have the highest ceiling. So I think the only way he's going to improve or develop is through being on the field. I think it's a great idea that he starts. Um, he can learn on the fly, but they they really need to complement him with that run game and not make it all about him. But people don't realize how big he is. He's actually physically bigger than Jonathan Taylor. Like He's a big man. So when he turns the corner, when he's got a scramble, you're going to have another version of Josh Allen coming at you. Last year, 2022, uh, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it was just under 20% of the rushing yards in the league were compiled by quarterbacks. And this, and again, there are so many reasons why the, the running back position has been devalued and is being devalued and isn't as prominent. But this is part of it. The ability and the willingness of quarterbacks to run 
is hurting the running back position. And there's a lot of talk in Indy while he's a rookie quarterback. And I, I get all of that, Mo. But at the same time, he's a rookie cor- a quarterback who's going to run first. He does. He is, like you said, he's raw. He isn't a prolific passer. And who knows what he develops to be on the passer side. But we do know what he is as an athlete and what he is as a runner. And the first couple of seasons, Mo, you would have to imagine that's what we're going to see from him. Oh, I, I think he's going to definitely rush between eight, 800,000 yards. Um, because, look, he, he can't read defenses yet, so he can't recognize when they switch up. He's probably going to go into every play, every pass play, with two reads. And he's going to go, he's not open, he's not open, taking off. So Which, it, it, it would not shock me if he rushes for close to a thousand yards or more. No, exactly. And that's going to take away from whoever is behind him in the running back field in Indianapolis. Now there's this trend mo happening in the NFL right now. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's kind of curious, um, but it's always entertaining. And what's happening is you have these reporters who are sticking these mics in front of these NFL players faces and they're asking them these questions and where they come out on the other side always makes you kind of wonder. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with Justin Fields, where he was asked to rank the top five rushing quarterbacks of all time. And he put himself in the list. Well, earlier this week, Jamar Chase, star wide receiver of the Cincinnati Bengals, he was asked to give his Mount Rushmore of NFL wide receivers. And thankfully, he didn't put himself on that list. So I I appreciate him for that. But it was interesting, the names that he did put on the list. Jamar Chase's Mount Rushmore of NFL wide receivers is Calvin Johnson, Antonio Brown, Cooper Cup, and Jerry Rice. Two names that are not on that list, Terrell Owens, and even maybe, maybe more surprising, Randy Moss. So he leaves off T.O., he leaves off Randy Moss, and he's going to ride with Calvin Johnson, Antonio Brown, Cooper Cup, Jerry Rice. I look at this, and I I, I am probably, Mo, I'm, I'm probably more of an Antonio Brown supporter than most. And I think the argument with Antonio Brown is, can you take a small sample size, which was about three or four years, where I think you could not even argue where you you could acknowledge that he dominated the league from that position. But how does that three or four years compare to a career of these other guys who did it for eight, 10, 12 plus years? And that's always an interesting conversation that I'm willing to have. But I I do believe that for three or four years, Antonio Brown was the most dominant uh, wide receiver in the league, hands down. And he has the numbers to show that is is he Mount Rushmore? I don't know. Is Cooper Cup, who is still playing in the league right now, is he? Mount, I don't know, Mo. What do you think? You know. <laughs> <laughs> to to be fair, everyone he named, they're all talented. For sure. Um, and Cooper Cup is currently playing. What I would say about him suggesting that I, I don't understand his list. So you can make uh, you you can understand Jerry Rice because he can say. Well, I didn't really see him play, which he he obviously didn't as young as he is, but he recognizes what he had accomplished, the numbers, the history. So I understand that. But if you're going to go that route, wouldn't you have the same respect for Randy Moss, uh, 
Terrell Owens, who you might have gotten to see at the tail end of their careers, but I, I don't understand why they wouldn't be on your list. Um, and then Cooper Cup, who I, I'm a big fan of, by the way, but he's got a small re- resume. He's he's a he's a late bloomer. He's only had two 1,000 yard seasons. Now his one season it might be one of the greatest. You can argue maybe the greatest wide receiver season in NFL NFL history. Over 1,900 yards, 16 touchdowns. He was dominant that one season, but I don't think he's done enough to be on anybody's Mount Rushmore. Not yet. I think he's still he's still going along in his career. He's still adding to his resume. Calvin Johnson. I thought Megatron was a great receiver while he played. I, I think I would maybe rank him in the top 10. I wouldn't have him on my Mount Rushmore. But again, this is Jamar Chase. So I'm going to respect his 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 list. The guy that you can make a case for, whether you like him or not, you brought him up. A.B. A.B. wasn't very good. He was dominant. Dominant. And A.B. is unique because he can do things that some of the other greats can't do. A.B. can play on the outside. He can play in the slot. His route tree is everything times two. Like he can do everything. He can beat you underneath. He can catch a screen pass and go to the go the distance. He can go over the top. He has great hands. AB probably has some of the best feet ever in football. So whether you love him or not, as a as a player, as a talent, you can make a case for AB. You can make a legit case for AB. It's not like he only had like two or three thousand yard seasons. AB was on pace to pass Jerry Rice up until he got a little a little nutty on the outside. So as a talent, the most impressive guy on his list outside of Jerry Rice is actually Antonio Brown. So I I respect those two selections. The other three, not so much. Not and I'm not, let, me, let, me, let me rewind it. I I I don't disrespect him. Let's just say I disagree because I think Cup has to continue with his career and then when he's, it's all said and done we can look at his body of work. We saw Calvin Johnson's body of work put up a lot of numbers. I I don't know what he contributed to winning because a lot of his numbers came while they were losing, right? When you're Detroit during the Cal the, the Calvin Johnson years, they're getting blasted. So how many times are they throwing the ball late in the game and he's just racking up yards that mean nothing? So I I don't know if he's an all-time great. I think he's a Hall of Famer but I don't think he's an all-time great. And it's that same argument that you have with uh, uh, what was the quarterback in Detroit who's with the Rams now? Stafford. Uh, Stafford. Stafford. Yeah. yeah, Stafford put up great numbers. Just If you look at just numbers, Stafford put up solid numbers in Detroit. But again, like you said, a lot of that is they're down three scores in the third or fourth quarter, and they've abandoned the running game, and they're just throwing, throwing, throwing. And when you're down three or four scores, the defense doesn't care if you score a couple <laughs> at the end because you're not coming back to win anyways. And so those numbers get inflated. Field, right? Right. 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 So I, I get it. And it, it's interesting because you see this a lot with, with young players. And it's not a bad thing. It's perspective, right? You, you know what you know. You know what you've seen. And it's hard to ask a 22, 23, 24-year-old in the game today to talk about someone who's prime was before they were born right. or their prime was when they were five or six years old. Right. Like they don't, how do you do that? Like uh, if they're not a student of the game, if they're not a stat guy, if they're not a history buff, when it comes to the NFL, yeah, they know, they know Jerry Rice was great, but that may, that may be all they know. 
They may have never watched tape on him. They never may have watched a game or seen a game that he was in. They know Randy Moss was great, but maybe they only know Randy Moss, you know, his last couple seasons. They didn't see the Minnesota Randy Moss. So it's interesting because you, you get these lists sometimes and you're like, well, why? Well, that's who they saw. That's, that's who they grew up with. So in their mind, they are the greatest. So like you said, it's, it's hard to knock his list. It's, it's not like he's putting scrubs on there. He's putting he's not, talented he's guys on his list, but he's also probably putting guys on his list that he physically has seen play the game before. And, and, I, and I get that. So, and if I was sitting down having a conversation with him about football or about the great receivers of all time, I, I wouldn't say that his list is bad. I would just say that you really, I, I understand where you're coming from. These are the guys that you've seen. Obviously he didn't see Jerry Rice. But when, when a guy is considered the greatest wide receiver of all time, I'm sure he knows the history, the numbers, because they've been they've been said time and time again. So I I would just disagree with his list, but I respect the fact that he has um, I mean, like you said, there's nobody on the list that isn't a gifted player. He didn't put scrubs out there. So I I just disagree, but I I respect his list. And look, as he gets older, as he progresses in his career, I think he'll be he'll become more of a historian of the game over time. Because there are there are tons of wide receivers that we could throw out there that were great wide receivers that go unmentioned. We don't we don't talk about Chris Carter. Nobody mentions Chris Carter. He might have had the greatest hands ever. Um, I'm not a Cowboy fan, but I acknowledge how gifted Michael Irvin's was in between the hashes. How physical a player he was, and how money he was in the red zone. I respect that. I, I acknowledge those kind of guys. Um, I I can go back way back. If you want to talk about guys from back in the day, like a Lynn Swan or someone like of that ilk, didn't see him play, but but I know of the history. I've seen the acrobatic catches. That every time it's Super, we're around Super Bowl time. How many times have you not seen those old Steelers plays where Bradshaw throws a bomb and Lynn Swan is in the air? I mean, you've seen it over and over again. So I always want to pay respect to guys from the past, but I have nothing against today's present players in their selections this is like you said chris this is what he's seen some of these guys are his peers um and and i kind of feel like that about the nba as well we we debate this and that but if you're 2021 your goat is it, it it's gonna probably be lebron it might be kobe but i understand that you saw those guys play you grew up revering those guys so i, I totally get why people see things that way and in all fairness to Chase, he, he was asked, he was asked, oh, no, no T.O., no Randy Moss. And he said, th those guys were great, absolutely amazing players. He goes, but I can only put four on the list. He goes, if you ask me my top 10, they would definitely be in my top 10. He goes, I'd love to get Ocho in here as well, throwing some love to Ocho right. Cinco. But he said, I only got four spots on Mount Rushmore, and I can only put four on there, so you got to leave some names out. So he acknowledged some of the great ones that he missed, and that's great. We, li we, like, we like perspective. Now, moving on, let's, let's talk about perspective when it comes to NFL head coaches. There's, give or take at any point in the year, Mo, there's you know, a quarter of the league that's probably on some version of a hot seat. It could be lukewarm. It, it could be sizzling to where you got to put a little cushion on it so you don't burn your tush. <laughs> but it's, it's always warm for about a quarter of the league. So I want what I want to do right now is I want to run through a, a list of coaches coming into the season and let's just talk about what they need to do to keep their jobs for next season. And we're, we're, we're going to start in big D we're going to start with Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. 
So we talk so much about Dak Prescott and what Dak is and what Dak isn't and when Dak was great and when Dak was good and when Dak is subpar. But at the end of the day, Dak isn't the only one with pressure in Dallas. Mike McCarthy was brought in with the expectation that he was going to get the Cowboys over that hump. And over that hump means Super Bowls, returning to the Super Bowl, contending for a championship, not just winning divisions. I personally don't think a division title is enough for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't even think they're going to win the division title. First of all, I think that belongs to the Eagles. But let's say Dallas won the division. I don't think that's enough to take the pressure off of McCarthy or Dak. I think that if McCarthy is being viewed in the hot seat by Jerry Jones in Dallas, the only thing that starts to change his mind is winning a playoff game, at least one. If you ask me what would guarantee Mike McCarthy back next year, making the NFC Championship game. I don't think he needs to win it, but like with the Buffalo Bills, for example, you have to see progress, right? And you've seen Buffalo make make an AFC Championship game, and now you need to see that next step. Dallas hasn't even done that yet. So if you're talking progress in Dallas, you would have to say that that next step, logically, you know, Cowboy fan is like Super Bowl, but let's let's be logical because yeah. we know we're not crazy over here. The logical next step is get to the NFC Championship game. Then we can go from there. Um, I agree with you. I, I actually think that has to be his mission. I think anything less than the NFC Championship game and – they're going to be moving on from him. I really think – I don't even think a playoff game or a playoff win is going to be enough. I think that he's been there long enough. And it's not like they, they've they been lacking talent over the course of his tenure there. So big picture, when you look at everything they've done, they're loaded on both sides of the football. And, yes, I understand a lot of pressure goes to the quarterback. But if you're the coach and you're taking over the play calling, you have the ability – to set him up for success and yourself. The goal for the Cowboys, now, like you said, Cowboy fans will blow me and you off and go to the Super Bowl. Um, I'm going to go, I'm with you. I'm more practical. You need to just take a big step. And a big step would be to play in the NFC Championship game. It'd be great if you want it for Cowboy Nation, but just get there and compete would guarantee to me that Mike McCarthy would be the coach again next year. Let's jump to the Raiders and coach Josh McDaniels. Now, I would argue that McDaniels has been a train wreck in every aspect of his head coaching career. I, I, I don't think he's done a lot right. I mean, you bring him in, you trade for Devontae Adams to reunite him with you know his college quarterback, and a year later you're shipping that quarterback out. It's it's a mess, and I, I think that the Raiders will be the last place team in that division this year, and I don't think they're going to compete for a wild card spot. But at the same time, I also think if they are competitive, in the sense of five, six, seven wins, that almost hurts McDaniel's more because what wouldn't it be fair to say at this point if you're Josh McDaniel's, you need a quarterback. You need the, the quarterback of the future for this franchise. And there's like two, maybe three in the NFL draft coming up. And if you're not in position to get one of them, what are you doing? Because you don't want to be rolling with Jimmy G for multiple years. He isn't the future 
of the franchise. Right. He is the, hey, we have everything but a quarterback, and we need someone to keep the ship afloat and win some games with a lot of talent around them. You, you're not that. You don't have that. You really don't have any talent on that team. I mean, yes, you, you have a couple of pieces here and there, but overall, you're a mess. So for me, and I get it, you know, losing usually means you're on your way out. And maybe it is. Maybe if they go one in 16 or whatever, that that is the excuse to dump him, bring in a new coach, draft that quarterback. But I, I don't think winning is going to be the answer right now for the Raiders because they're not capable of winning 10 games. So what is their ceiling? Six, seven games? I don't think that helps them in the long run. No, I actually think that losing might be a way he can keep his job too. I mean, maybe maybe they lose and they get the number one pick. And he says to the, the, the powers that be, I've got my guy now. Now that I got my guy in place, give me another shot. Let me implement my system with my guy and I'll show you what we can do. I'm with you. I, I don't want to use the word tank. But maybe this year, play a lot of your young players. Play a lot of your young right. guys. Let, let, let them get out there, get some experience. Let them get better, even if it's it, at the cost of wins. Let them play more. You're you're not going to be competitive. If 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 I'm Raider Nation, I would I would say we need to be patient. That we're not competing for titles. We're not even competing for the playoffs. It, you don't want to lose, but the best thing you could do this year is to lose. The hot button word in Vegas this year should be develop. We're going oh, like to develop. I like, I like that, Chris. Our names. Perfect. We're going to develop our talent. Perfect. And then around week six or week seven, you trade Adams for draft picks yeah. because I think you can get a one or a two for him. I really, really do. Oh, I agree. Depending on where he's going. And we keep saying things like develop. And then once you get that quarterback, everyone just feels better, right? You know what? Like, <laughs> I, you made me laugh because you said develop, and it, and it becomes a mantra, right? Develop. They start getting T-shirts. Develop. It it becomes the new version of the process, right? But 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 I like that. They can say things like, it's not about wins or losses. It's about the development of these young men. You can make it sound good. You can make it edible to the fan base. So I'm with you. I love the buzzword develop. Develop. Dennis Allen, New Orleans Saints. I, I think Dennis Allen kind of gets a I don't dislike him. A lot of people are like, we don't know what's happening with the coach in New Orleans. I don't I don't think he's terrible. I think he's a middle of the road kind of guy. But Mo, I will say this. He better win the division. There, I don't think there's any excuse for him to not win the division. And if he doesn't win the division, I can see him being shown the door, can't you? This is their division to win. Look look at the quarterbacks around you in a quarterback-driven league. You've got a rookie who has a high-ceiling, incredible talent, but he is a rookie. And, and then you look at the other, the other teams in the division who you would say that they've got question marks more or less at the quarterback position than anything. You've got a stout defense. You do have some playmakers on the outside. Derek Carr can be a very good quarterback when he's surrounded by talent. And he has the support of a very good defense. Everything's in place that says this is your division to win. If he doesn't win the division, I think he's fired. I think he's fired. Like, they're going to say, wait a minute. Nobody else even has, you know, established quarterbacks. Some of the teams out there struggle 
in various areas, not just the quarterback spot, and you still couldn't win the division, I think he's fired. I, I think they move on from him because, like you said, he's a middle-of-the-road coach, but this is his opportunity to look like the man by dominating and winning this division. One of the most interesting coaches for me is Kevin Stefanski from Cleveland. And I find him interesting because I, I don't know what the realistic expectation is for the Browns this year. You got a quarterback in Deshaun Watson who basically didn't play for almost two years. You have a years and decades worth of instability in the Cleveland organization. You have a division where maybe you have the third best quarterback in your division. You could have the potential to have the second best, I suppose, if we see some Houston Deshaun from like his 33 and seven season. Sure. But I would say you, you probably have the third with, you know, depending on how Pickett develops this year, you could have the fourth. I don't know. But you're also playing in a division where you're not the best team in your division. You're probably not the second best team in your division, but you could compete for that. So I don't know realistically what the expectation is for Stefanski. I feel like Brown fan is going to want the playoffs. I feel like they think they should at least be a wild card team, which I understand that side of it. But then I look at the realistic side of it, and I look at how stacked the AFC is, and I look at all the quarterback competition in the AFC, and, and I shake out with this. If Stefanski has <clears throat> a season where there isn't turmoil, where the Browns look like they they know what they're doing. They don't look a mess on the offensive side of the ball. Deshaun Watson bounces back and plays better than he did last year, and they only win eight or nine games and miss the playoffs. I think I'm okay with that. I think I'm okay with that for one more season Agreed. because I don't think he has, and he being Deshaun Watson, I don't think he has enough on offense right now to potentially – make a run in the playoffs. He has pieces for sure. He, he has a wide receiver. He has a running back. There are some nice pieces on the defense, but I don't think he has enough to where you're looking at them and being like, they should be a playoff team. I think they're still in that. It, they should be competing for a playoff yeah. spot conversation. Agreed. If they miss the playoffs, would what would you do with Stefanski? Keep him or let him go? I, I would bring him back. I, I think you you hit on a, a number of points, but the biggest one that we can both agree on is when you look at their team top to bottom, yeah, they have playmakers on offense, but they don't have a ton of them. And they have talent on defense, but they don't have balanced talent. Like they've got a star on the on the front four. They've got talent at, at, at the linebacker position, one guy. Um, the secondary is still developing. So I don't think they have as much talent as others think. If I'm the head coach, and remember, you you pointed out, Deshaun Watson is coming back, and now what we're expecting is maybe not 33 and 7, but 25 and 10. Like they're, they're, you're, you're, you're looking for some version or some sign of the guy you saw with the Texans. And if you can have that guy along with a 1,500-yard back, arguably the best running back in football, Nick Chubb, I think you can be competitive. I think the Browns are, are potentially the surprise team in the division. I don't think they win the division, but I don't think they're going to embarrass themselves. If they if he wins seven or eight games, I think the fan base, while they might be disappointed to a point, I think they'll be encouraged about what they could be going forward. 
it's crazy. We're sitting here talking about like, you know, realistic level-headed Cleveland Brown fans. <laughs> and we don't, we don't, we don't say those things a lot around here, Mo. So I, I that's a nice, that, I, I feel nice about that. I feel nice that we're saying Cleveland fan can be re- now Cowboy fan. If you could just come on down and sit next to Cleveland fan, <laughs> I think you all have some talking to do because you need to get on that same level. I don't Man. think they can ever come down. The coach that I think, and I feel free to disagree, but the coach that I think is on the hottest seat this season is Brandon Staley from the Los Angeles oh, Chargers. No question. They bring in the new offensive coordinator. So they, they think they've got the offensive side because he's a defensive guy. So let, let's just call an ace and ace. He hasn't figured out his defense, in my opinion, but he is a defensive guy. So they bring in the offensive coordinator, who I think is actually going to do wonders for that offense. And that offense wasn't the bad offense. I'm not saying that they were a mess. Justin Herbert, I think, has broken almost every record a quarterback can break his first three years in the league. He owns a lot of them now. So he's doing just fine from as far as stats and numbers and, you know, making himself look amazing. But it doesn't always translate into wins. So I think by bringing in the offensive coordinator, he's going to clean things up. He's going to make them more productive on third down. He's going to take away some of those boneheaded plays that we see from Herbert, and he's just going to put him in better positions to be successful. With that in mind, I don't see Staley keeping his job unless they win at least one playoff game, right? At least one. I, I agree 100%. He, the, the thing about Staley is – but like you mentioned it, he's known for being a defensive guy. And they have talent on the defense, but they haven't been very good. They haven't been very good. And he, he doesn't seem like he has full command as a coach. It's it's not a good thing when league execs, they never put their name down when they say these things, say that he's he's the worst coach and he's probably going to get fired. I mean, they, they don't attach their name to that. But when they say that, if you've been watching the Chargers, you don't disagree with what they said. He, he's got to get to the playoffs. They have to win at least a playoff game for him to have a shot at keeping his job. Anything anything left in a playoff victory, I think that guy's fired, immediately fired. He's had enough time with all the talent that he's had. They should have been better than what they have been. Like you said, you've got the quarterback sold up, top flight running back, one of the best receiving cores in football, solid offensive line, Talent on defense, what's the problem? Start looking at the head coach. So I, I really think that anything less than a victory in the playoffs, he's going to be packing his bags. You know, Mo, it's wild. It's it's one thing for us and other talking heads to say things about coaches and say the coaches should be fired or the coach might be fired. It's another thing if you're Brandon Sale and you wake up one more and you get the text where it's like so, a league executive is saying I'm the worst head coach in the league and I'm probably getting fired. Like that's that's a tough look when you got to go to right. work that morning knowing that your entire team saw that story, your entire coaching staff saw that story. That's rough, right? And, like, come and, on now. And everybody in the league has saw that story. Like that that is rough. Like look, I, I don't think he's done a good job, but to do what that exec did, that was wrong. And if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, at least take take the approach 
of the Denver coach and put your name on it, right? right. Your name Be Sean it. Payton. Put your name on it. And at, at least let's have that back and forth so Staley can at least be like, well, let's talk about what you've done. <laughs> well, I mean, and who's to say? They say it's an exec. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's maybe it's Mike McCarthy, you know, <laughs> just to take some heat off himself. Like, look at Staley. Or, or it's Hackett. It's Nathaniel Right, Hackett. right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's even better. <laughs> that's even better. Now, we may not want to go here, but we're going to go here. And we're going to take a deep dive. And, and, and Mo, this, this is because of you. You did this. So anyone who's watching or listening, if, if you did this, if the next six or seven minutes of your life are sad or depressing, this is Mo's fault. Because we're about to take a look at the last 10 years of the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, that's <laughs> that's painful. And we're just going to we're going to take a trip down memory lane, all right? And some of this is the process, some of this is not the process, but a, a lot of this is the process. <laughs> so, let's just take a, a quick a quick trip down memory lane. We're going to start in 2013. That's when they traded a young Drew for the 6th pick. Then in 2014, they drafted some players that did not play. Embiid was injured, and Dario played in Europe until 2016. That was a great pick, wouldn't you say, Mo? Yeah. 2015, they draft their <laughs> they draft their third straight center. <laughs> what were they doing? Two wasn't enough. So 2015 rolls around. Okafor is available, and 76ers are like, "That is what we need. Sign me up." Three straight centers. 2016, they hired the advisor's son, Brian Colangelo, to run the team because, again, that makes sense, right? Like, let's keep it in-house. Let's keep it a family affair. That nepotism. always works. What's wrong with a little nepotism? It always works. With high- like, that's what you get when you do these things. When you hire your friends and your drinking buddies. These are the situations that we find ourselves in. 2017, Fultz loses <laughs> – False loses the ability to shoot. <laughs> hey, you know, the funny thing is, if if you saw the tape on him when he was in college, he didn't really shoot well. I mean, clearly he shot better than he did once he got to the league, but he wasn't really a natural shooter. What he was really good at was penetrating and getting to the basket. Um, and even even with that said, that's just a I don't want no, I don't want to I don't want to destroy the young man. He's to his credit, he's worked himself back into being a very good NBA player. But these kind of decisions turn your franchises up or down. Had you just picked a different player, the better player who you should have picked, we wouldn't be having these conversations. But this is the Sixers. 2018, Colangelo trash and beat on Twitter, taking a page out of Kevin Durant's book and going with the burner accounts. 2019, they trade away Jimmy Butler after they just missed the Eastern Conference Finals because why not? As we do, we got close. Let's trade away a star. That makes sense. 2020, they fired Brown. They hired Doc before hiring Daryl uh, Daryl Morey. 2021 was the Ben Simmons saga. 2022, they were investigated for tampering. And then 2023 is where we are currently with James Harden. Mo, <clears throat> clearly the Philadelphia 76ers are a dumpster fire and have been for the past decade. And I'm not going to sit here and and there, there were more things besides this. 
that we could talk about oh, for the 76ers. Could, could go a lot deeper. These were the highlights. These were the highlights of the burning building. Is there another sports franchise, whether it be basketball or somewhere else, that could compete with the 76ers for this level of incompetence over the past decade? So it would be easy, and I mentioned this, you could go Charlotte because you can you could just make the case that Charlotte has been consistently bad forever. And 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 they're consistently bad forever because a guy who many think is one of the greatest, if not the greatest player alive, is a horrible manager. He he's terrible. When it comes to guys who can recognize talent, he's not one of them. He's not one of them. Uh, the best thing he did for Charlotte, he sold them. He's not one of them. He he finally sold them. That that's probably their best gift they've had in a decade. Mike sold them. So good good for them. But when you look at the Sixers and what they've drafted, and and it, and remember they've been in the playoffs now over or over a lot of this time, but they've come up short. And a lot of it has to do with just the decisions that you made or, or shouldn't have made. They, I mean, easily Jason Tatum could be a sixer, right? I mean, just 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 the, the thought process and how they went about these picks. The idea that you draft and beat, I get that, the talent. And you knew he was going to miss time because he's injury prone. He was out. Sarich, who's actually a good NBA player, but didn't play for the first couple of years in the NBA. But then you follow that up. You trade Drew Holiday. And it'd be one thing if you use that pick and brought in a talented wing to replace Drew Holiday, you go out and get another center. You and and in the center, to, to, no offense, he's he he didn't become a star. Nerlens Noel, matter of fact, Nerlens Noel is Jackson Hayes before Jackson Hayes. He didn't do anything but get good cardio, and and he's done it for over a decade. And that's the guy that they drafted. That hurts your those kind of moves. It sets you back for years. It, it sets you back for years. They've just made they they you know so I'm going to discard Charlotte. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to set Charlotte aside because they've just always been bad. The Sixers have been mismanaged worse than anybody over the last ten years, at least in the me, NBA. I mean, you can look somewhere else, but in the NBA, they've been horrible. Let me throw one more at you, and I'll go outside of the NBA. The Cleveland Browns. Let me. Let me talk. Let me. Just, I just want to throw some names at you real quick. All right. We're, we're going to go 10 years. So we'll start in 2013. All right. Starting quarterbacks for the Cleveland Browns Jason Campbell, Brandon Whedon, Brian Hoyer, Johnny Football. Johnny, they, they didn't fall into Johnny Football. They thought Johnny Football, I don't watch tape. I've never watched tape my entire life. I watched no tape as a Cleveland Brown. They thought Johnny Football was going to save that franchise. That tells you what kind of talent advisors they had over there. Connor Shaw, Josh McCown, Austin Davis, Cody Kessler, RG3. He he was going to save Cleveland for a little bit. They drafted Deshaun Kaiser, Kevin Hogan, Tyrod Taylor, and that was before young Baker Mayfield came in, which ups and downs for sure. But I would say this. Baker brought a little bit of stability to the organization. He was at least the face of the organization. Yeah. He had those funny, those commercials were funny, Mo. I like it. I loved yeah. it. There were there were some funny commercials, all right? Then you'd step into the Deshaun Watson thing. Like you the Baker thing has fallen apart, and you step into Deshaun Watson, which no one else really wanted to step into. But not only did you step into it, you fully guaranteed it. 
You just gave the man all the money, so <laughs> no matter what happens. That, that one, that one to me, and, I, and look, I'm, we're not talking about talent. I'm just talking about that was puzzling. Like, uh, I, in light of what you knew, with all the things that are going on, and we talk about what's a good. We were talking about yesterday with with the young man and his situation in baseball. That that was worse, far worse. And you 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 didn't just trade for him. You said, yeah, we're going to bring you in. And we're gonna gonna guarantee you all this money with all this going on in the back, backdrop. I did not understand that. You know, you know what? When you just on that alone, and when you gave me that that roundabout list of quarterbacks, Cleveland's right there with the Sixers. <laughs> They're right. And it's there not just quarterbacks. Let's talk about draft picks. Number three draft pick, Trent Richardson. How's he doing? Uh, 2013 number six draft pick. Barkovis Mingo. How is he doing? Oh, God. Uh, 2014, number number eight draft pick in the first round, Justin Gilbert. They actually had two draft picks that year. They took in the first round. They took Johnny Manziel, number 22, overall in the first round that year. Uh, 2015, they got Danny Shelton in the first round. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. But they had a second first round pick and took Cameron Irving, a center. Don't know where he what he's doing right now. Maybe, uh, maybe 2016, number 15 overall, Corey value. Coleman. <laughs> now, I don't know what they did as an organization in 27 and 2018 because they started to hit on their draft picks. Miles Garrett, David Njuku, Jabril Peppers was 2017. Yeah. They got Baker in 18, Denzel Ward in 18. So 2018, they, they started to figure some things out. 2019, they didn't have a first-round pick. 2020, Jedrick Wilson Jr., tackle, okay. Uh, 2021, their first-round pick was a defensive back, Greg Newsom II. He, he's all right. They, they they went in the back of the first round that year, so I understand that one. And then they haven't had first-round picks the last couple of years because they just trade away all their picks because apparently they don't need early draft picks because, you know, they're the Cleveland Browns. So it's wild. I mean, it's, it's a wild time. It, that that's a fair comparison to what Philly has done. Um, when I look at what Cleveland has done, look, I I I almost forgot about the Trent Richardson thing. The funny thing is, when that happened before or before he got drafted, we were having arguments. Uh, me and a group of people were having arguments, and I was like, he's not that good. Trent Richardson is a solid player, but he's not that good. He was a product of Alabama having a dominant offensive line. Like they were making holes that you and I could run through. It, it wasn't because he was special. He was one of those guys that I would call a combine baby because when he got to the combines, he ran a good time, had a great vertical. He 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 was a freakish athlete, but he was just an average running back. And and, and when Cleveland was done with him, I remember the Colts jumped all over him. They they were like, "We're going to get Trent Richardson. He's going to be he's going to be our number one back." And I was laughing at Colts fans because I was like, "No, he's not. No, he's not. That he Trent Richardson is not that guy. He just isn't, and he, and he never was." Look, Cleveland has made some bad mistakes. But like you said, towards the end, um, when you get Miles Garrett, but like you said, Baker, for whatever, for, for better or worse, I thought Baker did bring stability. He he might have been up and down as a player, but he, he jumped into and embraced being the face of that franchise. And that's not easy to do. A lot of guys run away from that. He totally embraced it. So I, I give him all the credit in the world for that. Look, I, I don't doubt Baker Mayfield's confidence he may have his struggles from time to time but he's a legit nfl quarterback now now when you want to get into the argument about what tier he is this or that i'm not saying elite 
but I'm saying that he's a capable quarterback. He's just low-hanging fruit for people who want to attack him. And Mo, Cleveland, <clears throat> Cleveland was so bad that when Trent Richardson left Cleveland, they thought Cleveland was the problem. Indy thought that Cleveland was the right. reason right. Richardson wasn't. Right. You have to be bad to think that someone who coming out of the draft, a lot of people were like, mm, he's not the guy. Right. And then he goes to Cleveland and he's not the guy. And the Colts are like, no, 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 no. Cleveland's the issue. Right. They're holding him right. back. They don't know how to use Trent Richardson. Wait till we get him. And then when he got to Indy, they realized like, oh, okay. So, Mo, earlier in the show, I said, I said we were going to talk about the NBA's version of soccer, and that's what we're going to do now. The in, what are we calling this? The in-season tournaments, yeah. the NBA Cup. I'm still trying to wrap my head <laughs> around what this looks like um, because I, I see a million ways it can go wrong. But also, I, I'm also intrigued because if the NBA pulls this off, it's going to be pretty cool if they pull it off. But I, I just see a lot of different ways it can go wrong. But at the end of the day, I, I really do feel anything that makes the regular season more important and that makes the stars play in the regular season, I, I'm all for that. I don't know if this is going to do that. But, hey, let's see what happens. Let's give it a try. Uh, the, commissioner, <laughs> the commissioner has already said these things take time to build. It's not going to be a one-year thing. Sure. So I like that he's already kind of – laid the groundwork of we're doing this for a minute. You need to relax in case it doesn't quite pan out the way he wants to this season. But let's take a quick look at the groups and let's just kind of forecast who we think is going to come out of each group. So in the East, you have group A. It's the aforementioned Philadelphia 76ers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Atlanta Hawks, the Indiana Pacers, and the Detroit Pistons. Mo, who's, who's coming out of Group A in the East? You know, that's a t tough call. Normally, I would have just said the Sixers because they, they had been the better team of that group, but they seem to be in disarray. Um, and I think the tournament is going to really highlight younger players, right? Like, I don't know how many veteran players are going to be like, yeah, play me 38, 40 minutes. My, my guess is veteran players are going to be like, no, nah, I'll do about 15 or 20. So – if if you're thinking youth and they're gonna and, and the youth are gonna play the bulk of it, then I'm looking at the Cavaliers or the Pacers, uh, because of what the Pacers did. And both of those teams are young teams. We're talking about teams that their cores are 25, 24 and under. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it, I'm gonna go wild and say, I'm gonna go with the Pacers to come out of that group. And like you yep. said, keep in mind that this is happening during the regular season. These are regular season games that are supposed to mean a little extra. So if this is happening on a Tuesday night in Indiana, like you're right, you know, the, the veteran guys who normally don't get all hyped up for a Tuesday night game in Indiana, I don't know if they're going to get hyped up because now you put the label of the in-season tournament qualifier on this Tuesday night game. Whereas the, the young guys who are hyped up for every game, right, who always exactly. want to be out there on the floor, now they have a little extra to be playing for because you know there's the five hundred thousand dollars per player for the winning team of all this. Um, you know th this is a Tuesday night game in Indiana that may not have been on TV, and now it's going to be a nationally televised a game, point. or at That's least in point. more markets than it would have been. So maybe you're going to have some of those younger talents be like, oh, this is a thing, right? And they're going to wrap their arms around it, whereas the 34-year-old vet's going to be like, all right, you go do your thing, children. 
and and look to the commissioner's credit, Chris, this can work so well. Uh, if maybe I'm look, I'm a basketball junkie, so I'm I'm gonna watch. I can't control myself. I'm going to watch. But the casual fan, the younger casual fan, I think you can pull them into this. You can pull in a younger fan base and they'll embrace it. Remember, a lot of these teams, these younger teams, we're talking about guys that are are, are college age. We're talking about some teams, their core, they're like 22 and under. Uh, this is this, this is going to be like the NCAA is all over for these guys. So I do think this swings, at least right now initially, towards younger players embracing this and attacking this because – for younger players, like you said, they're always hyped up, but it also gives younger players bragging rights, another thing that matters to them. The older, seen-it-all, done-it-all veteran is going to be like, do, do you. Do you, young guy. I'm going to I'm gonna sit this one out. I'm only going to play about 20, 25 minutes, but, but do you. So in the East, we have Group B. <clears throat> Group B is the Milwaukee Bucks, the New York Knicks, the Miami Heat, the Washington Wizards, and the Charlotte Hornets. As things stand now, assuming Dame is not with the Heat, who comes out of that group? Now, we just talked about youth embracing this. The Milwaukee Bucks are not a young team, but Giannis is one of those rare stars. Everything's a competition to him. He doesn't know how to take games off. That guy's going to play 35, 40 minutes. That guy's going to compete. Uh, and if he plays, Holiday's going to play. Middleton's going to play. They follow his lead. So I'm telling you right now, the Bucks are going to come out of that group. Group C in the East is the Boston Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets, the Toronto Raptors, the Chicago Bulls, and the Orlando Magic. I'm, I'm going to take the Celtics. I think that normally, like you said, they wouldn't be motivated to play something like this, but I think they're going to still be trying to develop some chemistry with Przingis. So I think he's going to play more. Tatum and Brown will be on the floor. I think the Celtics are going to win that group as well. Look, and really, when you look at the, that group, it's not a strong group. Not well, that's the thing. I mean, what, one of the knocks on the Celtics is under pressure, they crumble. And it would be different if in this group you had multiple NBA championship contenders, yeah, which you agreed. don't. Agreed. You have the Boston Celtics as a championship contender, and you have a couple of teams that you're like, they could make the playoffs. Right. And then you have a couple of teams where you're like, they're probably not going to do much this season. If Boston doesn't come out of this group, now that's another knock on Boston of, wow, really? You know what? <laughs> you couldn't no, even come I, out of your group. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy, Chris, but how about this? What if they win it? What people are going to say is, you can't just win that. You this puts more pressure on you to win the title, to win it all. Like that, like that can't be your bragging right where you're satisfied and you want to like hoist up whatever kind of trophy you get. The 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 Celtics to me are championship or bust. No, I agree. I agree. Let's get to the West. West Group A: the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Trailblazers. The Grizzlies. Pretty competitive. Pretty competitive. That's a pretty good. Um, that's a pretty good grouping because even though Phoenix has some veterans, they're going to want to play. You're going to want to develop chemistry with Bill, Book, KD. They're they're going to play. They're going to compete. I think the Grizzlies, because of how disappointing a season they had, I think they're, they're going to be motivated to compete hard. You've got Marcus Smart there, a veteran who's going to get in these guys' ears. I don't want to be a homer because I'm obviously a Laker fan. 
I'm I'm gonna say that the Grizzlies come out of that group. I, I'm not gonna say the Lakers because I don't think LeBron's gonna play a lot. I don't think I, I think he'll play, but he's not gonna play a lot, and he shouldn't. And I don't think AD is gonna play a lot with Anthony Davis. What you don't want to do is wait do waste him on unnecessary games. So I don't think either of them will play a lot. And so the Lakers might still put a competitive team on the floor, but I'm going to go with the Grizzlies to come out that group. Yeah, I, I can see the Lakers being like, oh, the Trailblazers, we're, we're going to rest tonight, even though this is a, <laughs> an in-season tournament game. We're going to rest our guys. If we win or we lose, it is what it is, and kind of have that mentality. Because you're right, you know, you have to balance what's happening here. And for the Lakers who have who are older and have an injury history, their their goal is an NBA title. Yeah. So they're not going to potentially take away from the playoffs and a playoff run and making it back to the finals to win this. And I and I don't think the commissioner wants that either. I don't think he's looking for this to, to be on the same level as winning the finals. I think he just he just wants his stars to play in the regular he season. He does, and I get it. And he's going to get some of them to play, but I think it'll be predominantly the younger, the younger ones. Yeah, look, LeBron has done all you can do for the league. I, I, I don't. Th- if he sits out or plays less, I don't think the commissioner's going to have a problem with him because I think that in the big picture, if you're talking about ratings, he would probably like to see the Lakers in the finals, right? You would like to see that, right? Uh, so. You want the Lakers healthy. And I'm looking at the Blazers, and I'm wondering, if Dame is still there, is he going to play at all? I mean, never mind the tournament, is he going to play at all? So I I think out of that group, it'll be the Grizzlies. They're still a younger team. Their core is younger. People forget, Marcus Smart seemed like he's been around forever. He's only 28. He's only 28. Someone's going to need to sit down the Joker and explain what, what all this means. Because I, I, if it if it's something extra in his mind, he may he may not want to be a part of it. If he realizes it's just his normal routine, I think he's going to be all in. But in the West Group B, you have the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Mavericks, and the Rockets. The Nuggets should just roll out of this. Group, oh, I agree. Right? I think they should. But you know, when you taste that championship and you get your core together the goal becomes to gear up for the next championship, right? Like their goal is to repeat. So I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the middle on this because I don't know how motivated the Nuggets as a team will be to embrace this 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 tournament. It it doesn't do anything for them in the big picture. It really it it, it doesn't. It I don't think it does anything for a veteran team like the Clippers. The, the the Clippers are completely a veteran team, top to bottom. Is there a benefit? For Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who have injury histories to play in this tournament, they're not going to play. They're not playing. I don't even think Russ plays in this tournament. Like the Clippers they're gonna, that are going to be on the floor, you won't recognize any of them. So I, yeah. I think the, the Nuggets should roll through this if they compete. But if they rest their players, anybody can come out of this group. The last thing the Clippers want is a young team who thinks they have a chance to win this in-season tournament thing, doing crazy things with their stars on the floor that they normally wouldn't do in a Thursday night game. Right, right, right. <laughs> and then and then risk injury because right. that, it's, it's not that intense. And that's how some of these veterans are going to approach it. They're going to approach it as, I get it's important for you. It's not that important for me. And you know, when you get athletes on the floor, 
and you have a group that is really driven and really motivated and the game means more to them, we see that in sports all the time. You put some bulletin board material up, there's some historical context attached to the game, and you see great moments in, in sports in one game, right? At any given day, one team can beat another team. Right. And the last thing that you want is your star being taken out because this game meant so much more to the other team than it did to your guys. You you don't want Kawhi Leonard to suffer an injury because a 19-year-old dove to the floor to get a loose ball and Kawhi was near him. And, and I'm not I'm not saying Kawhi's not hustling, but like you said, the older veterans, they're they're competitive, but veterans like Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Chris Paul, we can go down the list. Their goal is to get into the playoffs and try to win a championship. This tournament, it on its face, I think is more for the benefit of younger fans or fans in general. I don't think veterans care that much about this tournament. I don't think it carries any weight with any veteran player, at least not any veteran star. Maybe a veteran who's more of a role player who's still maybe fighting for a position or, or maybe thinks he's auditioning for his next job. But an established star, they're not going to care. And then our, our last group, the sixth group, is the C group from the West. It's the Kings, the Warriors, the Timberwolves, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the San Antonio Spurs. Wow. I want to I want to lean towards the Kings, but really, when they're one hundred percent healthy, top to bottom, even though the Kings made the playoffs, I think Oklahoma City has more talent than the Kings do overall. I don't, and I don't even think it's close. I think they just have way more talent. If they field a healthy team, they got Chet, the guys they've already drafted, the guys that are second-year players, and then they've got um, SVG. Uh, look, I, I predict that they come out that group. I think they're the best team in that grouping. A lot of people would maybe say the Spurs, but I would say you're 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 putting a lot of you're putting a lot of pressure on Big Vic. Um, he's got a lot of talent, but but he's got some work to do. I'm going to go with the OKC Thunder. I, I, no disrespect to the Kings. I like what they did last season. But I think talent-wise, and maybe even best player-wise, I love Darren Fox, but I don't, I, don't think he, I don't think he's better than Oklahoma City's best player, who's an elite, maybe top seven player right now in the, in the NBA right now. So I would say the Thunder are the better team. Shea, Shea is just a beast. If you've never seen Shea Gilders play, he is a monster. So, Mo, NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry, <clears throat> who you know, you know, feel how you want to feel about Rick Barry. But NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry came out and he had some, you know, not nice words for the richest man in the NBA right now, young Jalen Brown, who is with the Boston Celtics. He does not agree with the Supermax that Jalen Brown received. And more importantly, he does not think that he is worth the Supermax. He said, and I quote, you you look at some of the contracts they have, even Brown, $306 million. I mean, that's just hard for me to believe. His average in the playoffs for them is 18 and a half points a game. I mean, 18 and a half points. And he's going to make $69 million in the last year of his contract. But 18 and a half points a game, that's nothing. Seriously. To pay someone that kind of money. And he's a nice player. I really like him. But man. He's going to have to improve his game. He turns the ball over way too much. Is Rick Barry out of pocket for this, Mo, or is he just saying facts? I think he's saying what a lot of people have said. 
when b- before the contract got done, when you knew he had the potential to make that kind of money, most people were saying, well, the Celtics, they're going to trade Jalen Brown. There's no way they're giving him that type of money. They're not going to do that. He's not worth it. He's not He's not a top 10 player. And, and he's not a top 10 player. He's probably, I would say, top 15, 20, probably in that range. 300 million, you, you look at the numbers, and it's a staggering number for a guy who's the second option on his own team. I, I understand where Rick Barry's coming from, and, and he's right. Just from a basketball standpoint, Jalen Brown turns the ball over far too often, but it's usually when he's over-dribbling. When Jalen Brown catches the ball and he just attacks, he's a completely different player. When he tries to beat somebody off the dribble in traffic, he gets consistently ripped. It's just a reality. I've, he's already, to be fair though, he was all NBA last year. He's multiple time all-star. He's played in a finals. The, the Celtics with him and Jason Tatum, I think they've made multiple conference finals. So there's a level of success. And I think when you're the Celtics, you had to make a choice. We could not pay him. And then he would have went into his lame duck year and he could just out and out leave us and we get nothing in return, right? Like he could literally just bounce in free agency. And I don't I, I don't know if Rick Barry cares one way or not, but it's good business to keep him, make another run at it. If it doesn't work out, you can trade him. His contract's not untradeable, not in this NBA. It's not untradeable, especially for a guy who's a 26-year-old two-way wing that gives you 24 points a game, four rebounds, four assists. So I understand where Rick Barry's coming from. Rick, and look, we're talking about one of the all-time greats. That's a Hall of Fame player. Uh, what I heard of Rick Barry, what I read about him, he wasn't an easy guy to get along with either. He wasn't great. So I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on what Rick Barry said because he hit on some really honest points. But I would just tell him that in this climate, in this NBA, with the way the league is set up, Jalen Brown getting that contract, it's not that staggering. I, I get it. You hear 300 million and you go, this guy must be the first or second best player in the NBA. And and he's really more like the the 15th or 20th best player in the NBA. So I understand why Rick Barry said that. And and those numbers, you're right. 300 million for a guy whose playoff averages are 18 points a game. That doesn't blow you away. But but I would just tell Rick Barry, like, this is a different NBA that you played in, man. I mean, the NBA you played in, look. If they had that kind of money when Rick Barry was a player, Rick Barry would have been a $300 million player. It just wasn't there when he was a player. So I I understand the frustration and how it could blow your mind that somebody like Jalen Brown, who's who's a sidekick, a number two option on his team, could make that kind of money. Because you would never think of that. If you said the the L.A. Lakers, you wouldn't have never thought James Worthy would make $300 million. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't think that he'd be offered that type of money. I would just tell him this is a different era. There's a lot of money out there now. The collective bargain agreement, whether the players love it or not, it has made them all types of money, and it makes these super maxes possible. The Celtics had a choice. They didn't have to give him the money, but if you don't give them the money, I guarantee you he out and out walks. So they, they kind of made the right move from a business standpoint. At least this way, whether it works or not between he and Tatum, they control his destiny. And, Mo, it's one of those things where <clears throat> we live in a world in sports now where the best athlete or the, the greatest in their particular sport doesn't have to be the highest paid. 
Patrick Mahomes is the sixth or seventh highest paid quarterback by choice, but he is easily the best quarterback in the league. And as each future great quarterback's contract comes up, Patrick's going to keep falling. So once Burrow gets his deal, Patrick's going to drop another notch. And it's very secular in that way. Brown is the highest paid player right now until Tatum gets his money. Which is next year. Tatum gets his money. Brown's going to fall down. Exactly. Brown's going to fall down a notch. So, yeah, right now, while and it happens a little bit slower in the NBA, I think in the NFL we see those contracts pop a little quicker. True. And someone's the highest paid corner for two weeks, and then the next deal happens, (laughs) and now they're not. So it doesn't happen as fast in the NBA, but it's it's the same process. And to your point, what does the current NBA look like? You need two stars. So, yes, I would agree he is number two, and he is firmly in that number two spot, but you need a number two. Right. You, no one's winning a championship with just a one. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. Not in today's NBA. You need two. So if you need two, you got to pay two. And whoever is two isn't going to be paid a lot less than one because they're probably similar talent wise. So this is kind of where we are. And 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 to your point, the world champion Nuggets, we, we know Joker's their best player. But if there's no Jamal Murray, they're not the NBA champions. Jamal Murray makes life easier for the Joker and vice versa. So if a couple of years we see Jamal Murray get paid $300 million, don't be shocked. Don't be staggered. It it is where there is. Like you said, you're not winning a title with one superstar and a bunch of really good role players. You could have done that back in the day. Not, Not in this NBA. If you don't have at least two stars, you're not competing for a title. So we'll wrap up the show today. With this, we'll, we'll head back to the NFL. To no one's surprise, and I literally mean to no one's surprise, Dalvin Cook comes out yesterday and says things like, it was always the Jets. I knew from when I wasn't coming back at Minnesota, I wanted to go play with Aaron Rodgers in New York, which, you know, at the time, who knew if that was even going to happen? Right. <laughs> but he knew. He, he knew from the moment he realized he wasn't going to be a Viking anymore at the end of last season that he wanted to be a New York Jet, and he wanted to go for a Super Bowl run with Aaron Rodgers. Dalvin, we're not dumb, all right? The Jets gave you the most money. That's what it came down to. Because after you got released from Minnesota, what's the first thing you did? You posted a picture of yourself in Miami Stadium, celebrating in Miami. And then you started posting pictures of your time at your alma mater in Miami. And then you started hanging out with Miami Dolphin players. Don't sit here and say that it was the Jets the entire time. It's the Jets who offered you closest to what you wanted. It was rumored that you wanted somewhere in the 10 or $11 million range was what you were making in Minnesota. Right. And although the Dolphins never gave you a firm offer, it was reported they were coming in somewhere around five or six, which was not going to be what you wanted. The Patriots, you saw what they signed Zeke for. It was in that six range. They weren't going to give you what you wanted. The Jets were the ones that were going to come the closest to that ten or eleven million dollar figure, which is fine. There's no, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the NFL world knew once Aaron Rodgers wrote the Jets a check for thirty five million dollars and said, "Here, you better take care of me." They knew the Jets were going to go out and buy some pieces, and you were one of those pieces, and and that's that's okay. But don't don't come out here the day after 
and start talking about how it was manifest destiny and you were going to be a jet this and stop it just stop it but mo the bigger question here and this was kind of this was kind of hidden because now jet fan is like see he loved us the entire <laughs> time like, that's what jet fans talking about what they're not talking about is, is dalvin's not coming to camp this week and he may not be coming to camp next week because he's still at least a week or a week and a half out right. with his shoulder recovery. He's about to have a kid. So he's going to miss a little bit of time because of that. So let, let's say he misses the next two weeks. Now he's coming to camp at the end of the preseason. We're not now. I get it. Maybe we're going to see him in the preseason anyways. That's perfectly fine. Some starters don't play the entire preseason and they do just fine in the regular season. But this is a guy who hasn't been with your team. He hasn't played with your offensive line. He doesn't know your playbook. He's never played with Aaron Rodgers. I, I get it. He wants to be there and he wants to win titles. That's all That's all great and fantastic. But you would have to argue that it's probably better he get there the sooner he can. And missing the entire preseason with the practices and all that probably isn't going to help him get integrated right away. Plus, he's coming off of an injury. So here we are one day removed from the glory, the glory that was the Dalvin Cook signing for New York Jet fan. And are these red flags a little concerning for you, Mo? They are to me. I mean, we we mentioned the potential and what he could be for them, but we were thinking he would be able to fill in for Brees Hall till Brees Hall got 100%, right? We thought that maybe he would carry the the load until Brees got up to speed and then they would split they would split carries and he so he was going to be a major factor in their offense to me in the first few games of the season and now you're wondering is he going to be a factor at all? Because like you said, he's not 100% healthy. He's not going to do preseason. He's not in practice. He doesn't know any of them plays. He has no chemistry with the quarterback or the offensive line. He's missing all those reps that you can develop chemistry. There's no way you can just step right into this, even if you're a talented player and it just works out of pocket. That's not that's not how the NFL works. So if I'm a Jets fan, I know they were just celebrating but I'd be very, I'd be very concerned about this because you basically brought in a guy to to buy you some time for your future star running back to get healthy, and he's not healthy. So I, I'm guessing Carter's going to be the starting running back because this guy's got a shoulder problem, doesn't know the playbook, and we don't know when Brees Hall is going to be back. But I, I wonder if if the Jet GM, the physicians, everybody in, in, in within the organization thought, yeah, we know this not this guy's not going to play anytime soon, but let's go ahead and sign him anyway because now it looks like you got sold a bad bill of goods. And then you got Michael Carter, who let's be honest, coming into this season, he was going to be the starting running back because you got Brees Hall, who's coming back from an injury. So as he's going through camp and he's going through the preseason. Yeah, this Dalvin Cook stuff is in the, in the background, but he's RB1. He's getting those RB run touches. He's a big part of the offense. You sign Dalvin Cook, let's be honest, it's deflating a little bit, right? Because now you realize, well, shoot, I'm probably going to go into the season at RB2 because the fans are going to want to see him. The coaches are going to want to get him on the field. Then when Brees comes back, I was going to be RB2 anyways when he came back. Now I'm RB3. Like, what, what does my role look like with this team going forward? And then in a perfect world, you say you're a professional. Your role with the punches. You go out there, and you're probably going to be RB1 the first game or two. Right. You're going to take a back seat once Dalvin Cook comes back. 
and you're going to take a, the third back seat once Brees Hall comes back. But that's in a perfect world. That's in a world where young men are able to compartmentalize the fact that they're not going to be a huge part of this offense when all the pieces are healthy. And does that affect him at all? We don't know. But that's a va- that's a valid question to ask, it, right? It, it, ha- it has to affect him. Like you said, you're human. Um, you're Now you went from being RB1 to – Am I auditioning for my next team? Right, like, like I might not even be part of their future. I, I know Dalvin Cook's only signed for a year, but if him and Brees Hall are splitting the carries and 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 all the time with the quarterback, what's my role in the team? Am I am I the goal line back? Am I short yardage? Like, what what is my role in the team? And where and where what did that, does that leave me for my future? Like you said, in a perfect world, the young man can can focus and go, I'm a professional. I'm just going to go out and do what's best for my team. And he might be able to do that. But you have to think that once they signed Dalvin Cook, that had to be deflating. That had to make him feel like, I'm already here. You're good. We're good. What What, what is this guy here for? We don't need him. We got me. So, you know, the Jets looked like they were doing everything right in the offseason. And then something like this can cause a lot of discontent. And I, I hate to be that guy, <clears throat> and I am a Dolphin fan, so I mean, maybe that's part of it. But <laughs> we know that Aaron Rodgers is a little prickly, and we know that Aaron Rodgers is a little hot and cold when you change up what he's comfortable with. And who has Aaron Rodgers most likely been working with out of the backfield since he's been in New York? Carter. It's uh, probably been Carter. So whatever relationship he has with his running backs, it's going to be with Carter. And I'm not saying he doesn't want better talent. And I'm not saying that Carter is a better running back than Dalvin Cook is because he's not. But at the same time, you can't overlook the fact that Aaron takes time to adjust when you change things. And he doesn't always adjust the way you want him to. So while I'm sure Aaron loves the fact that he has more quality and a potential bigger threat for big plays behind him, how long is it going to take Aaron to adjust a game or two? Hopefully that's it. Hopefully it's just a quarter or two, but you don't know. You don't know what that disconnect is going to be. And as you know, Mo, when you're going through camp together, when you're going through, you start to pick up on tendencies. You just start to know what the other guy is thinking. You just start to know where the other guy is going to be. And it's going to take a little bit of time for Aaron and Dalvin to be there. So if it takes, you know, four or five games for them to know each other the way him and Carter know each other right now, what does that look like on the field? Because like we've talked about before, you're not playing Houston and Cleveland. I'm not, Cleveland's not that bad. You're not playing Houston and Tampa Bay and Carolina coming out of the gate. You're not, you're, you're not, you don't have cakewalks to open up your season. Your first six games are tough. So you need to be all systems go on the same page from week one through at least week seven before your schedule starts to ease up a little bit. So if you stumble out of the gate a couple of games, who knows what that does for their entire season? Because what we're not talking about anymore is what is Aaron Rodgers going to look like? Because he's still playing with young receivers. He's still playing with a different line. He's not in a different system because he has Nathaniel Hackett. But again, that's stuff that we've just stopped talking about because Aaron's taking the kids to dinner. Aaron's going to concerts with the kids. Aaron's going to Taylor Swift. Aaron's all, I'm the mayor around here. I I love everyone. I talk to everyone. That's great. But we're only a year removed from cranky Aaron who doesn't like people he doesn't know, 
who when someone doesn't go where he wants them to go, he just acts like they're not on the field anymore. That doesn't just go away, Mo. If, if that's part of your personality, that's part of your personality. And, and it won't go away. Remember, you, you, you hit on this. What happens when they put Dalvin Cook in on third and long and he misses an assignment, misses a blitz, and Aaron Rodgers gets his clock clean because Dalvin Cook didn't recognize that was his assignment. And, and that missed block might not just hurt you on, on that possession. Maybe it costs you for the game, maybe because Aaron Rodgers gets injured or it's a fumble. Like those kind of things, knowing how Aaron Rodgers is, that won't be a great way to start off his relationship if you're Dalvin Cook. And, and, and like you said, once Aaron doesn't like you, it kind of stays that way. He doesn't like you. It's very, so, it's very hard to get back into Aaron's good graces. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I, I, I do think, look, if you're a Dolphins fan, you kind of love this a little bit because, because these, these little things that mount up after Aaron was walking around like he was the mayor of New York, it does matter. He likes to have things a certain way. The guys he's put time in, like you said, those two-a-days, those reps going through training camp, he kind of knows, well, Carter is good at picking up blitz pickup. He's a little good. He's good coming out the backfield. He can catch the ball better over his left shoulder rather than his right shoulder. Like little things that Aaron Rodgers picks up on and makes use of, then you bring in a new guy, a new dimension, and he's got to learn everything about him on the fly, and you're getting ready to head into the season, and Aaron doesn't like to be rushed. So I do think this can impact them early in the season. And, Coach, uh, Mo, before we get out of here, the Patriots, Patriot fan, I, I, I feel really bad for you today because for an extra $2.8 million, less than $3 million, you could have had Dalvin Cook. I really, truly believe he, he was looking for money. And I think that the bigger – now, maybe maybe it would have been $4 million. Maybe you would have had to have matched – his Minnesota contract because maybe he looks at it and he's like, I want to play with Aaron as opposed to Mac Jones, but I'm a firm believer. If you just gave him enough money, he would have came to you for a year and he is a playmaker and he might be in the back end of his prime, but he is still in his prime and you settled, you settled once again for an offensive piece, not a weapon because Zeke is not really a weapon at this point, but he's a piece. You settle for an offensive piece that is just as mediocre and <laughs> uninspiring as the rest of your offensive pieces. Yeah. I, Juju Smith-Schuster, like Devontae Parker. Who's making plays on that offense? And and they're 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 looking at Juju like he's a number one. He's a he's a two or a three, but he's not a number one. I mean, the, Parker was a one in Miami for a while. Couldn't stay healthy. Couldn't catch the ball. He couldn't separate from defenders. Right. I mean, <laughs> Juju can't handle when 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 DB step up and they're physical with him at the line of scrimmage. He's done. He's done. He can't handle any kind. If they can get into him and, and they play man or a bump and run, he's done. I mean, the, the one thing I will say for Patriots fans is that Mike Gesicki is a quality tight end. He was underutilized in Miami. He is a playmaker, and he does have playmaker ability. He doesn't block. He don't block for the quarterback. So if, if you need protection from Mac Jones, you're not getting it from Mike. But Big Mike will make some plays for you. But let's be honest, Mo, the only reason they got Kasicki is because they paid him nothing. That man took a garbage contract to go play in New England. If he wanted 4 or $5 million, they probably wouldn't have him either. 
you know, when New England goes shopping, they look for a lot of bargain deals. They 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 don't like to spend, do they? Not really. At least not on the offensive not side. Not on of the, the ball. offensive side of the ball. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Mo, pleasure as always, sir. Before we get mm-hmm. out of here, make sure if you watched us this morning and you haven't followed us and you haven't smashed the like button and you're not following our TikTok and you're not part of our you, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? We tell you every morning, I'm going to tell you every morning from now until forever that you need to do these things because you need you need to enjoy myself and Mo even when we're not on live in front of you. I want you, before you go to bed tonight, click the YouTube, watch some of our past shows, fall asleep to listen to Mo talk about the 76ers, all right? <laughs> let Just let Not that Mo. simmer. Just let that simmer in your mind as you're drifting off, all right? Yeah, don't, don't marinate on me talking about the Sixers. <laughs> I don't want Sixers fans coming for me. Like, I was just pointing out the obvious. Actually, Chris was pointing out the obvious. <laughs> that is true. I was pointing out the obvious. Um, uh, like I said, pleasure as always, sir. Final 10 seconds belong to you. Go ahead. Like Chris said, smash that like button and check out some of the other shows, Cheap Seats. Um, check out Line in the Sand. We got a lot of great shows on here. Uh, check us out tomorrow morning. Smash that button for Coffee Sports in the morning. Make sure you follow Empire Sports Network. Make sure you you follow the Empire. Appreciate you. And JG will be here tomorrow morning. JG is going to come, and he's going to break down the train wreck that is the New York Yankees. I'm, I'm going to bring my tissues because last night the Yankees had more errors than they had hits. Wow. And I'm not ready to talk about it yet. I don't know if I'm going to be ready to talk about it tomorrow, <laughs> but that's what JG we're doing will tomorrow. talk about it. JG. <laughs> well, yeah, they're playing his team. <laughs> right. That's why I know you're talking about it. All right, Mo. Once again, great working with you. I'll see you tomorrow morning, sir. See you tomorrow.